spelling out the myths, misinformation, and BS in the wellness industry. This is the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. Here's your host, holistic pharmacist, supplement expert, Big Mouth, Dr. Neil Smoller. Broadcasting from the most famous small town in the world, it's the podcast that pulls back the curtain on the wellness industry. It's me, Neil, and I'm here with Dana. Hi, Dana. Hey, Neil. We are not in the studio today, so we're actually broadcasting from our homes because that's the kind of environment that we live in. This is episode 93, best of 2020. We're doing a recap episode here remotely, getting ready for the end of the year. Um, I'm going to do subtitle on this one. Um, no one's really listening. <laughs> Everybody's on vacation, you know, like we still True. send out our emails every week. Right. And um, it's really funny. So pretty much the week of Christmas and New Year's, uh, we, I just get like a million autoresponders. Hey, I'm away on vacation or hey, I'm not in my office. I won't see this email till later. So uh, that's how I feel. I feel like I should be on an autoresponder right now. You know, the, mm. uh, the other thing I was thinking is like, we should totally title this episode best of 2020. And that's really Barging depressing. <laughs> if this was the best of 2020, that really sucks. <laughs> I know when you uh, first brought this up and you suggested some of your favorite clips, I was like, that wasn't this year. Are you kidding me? And then I look back, I was like, oh my God, that was the lifetime ago. But nope, it was actually just January. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Best of 2020. And that's not saying much because everything's <laughs> horrible. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this, this year has been really interesting with the podcast because we started out really strong with these freaking awesome interviews and, and amazing guests, just like some of the people that I'll highlight here that um, we had on past episodes. I was like, I can't believe I convinced this person to come on this podcast. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so it was really uh, great from that perspective. It's kind of a drag, obviously, besides all the coronavirus stuff, but, uh, you know, I think I've shared this before, like, doing the podcast is probably one of the easiest pieces of content that we have to create, um, not have to, but like have to create, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because it's an interview show. So I can just read up on the person and the topic like briefly. And then the other person's doing all the work and I just have to kind of try to be funny sometimes. And when it's just Dana and I, I have to have all the information, right? So I have to like write mm -hmm. a new, a new piece, like another hour presentation. So it's a lot to do with all of this stuff going on. I hate this year. This year sucks. Are you <laughs> kidding? This is the year that made me a star because we didn't get a single doctor on the show after Corona hit. <laughs> right. Right. There was zero doctors. We talked about Dr. Mercola, but that's about it. But yeah, yeah. I think that uh, it's just been horrible and it's just a lot of work. Um, I know I'm not the only person to say something like this, but you know, there was no vacations last year. I took mm -hmm. four scheduled days off and the rest were like just weekends here and there. Right. And, yep. you know, people in Woodstock know my pharmacist uh, just had a baby. So she's at home doing the mom thing. So I'll be like, running amok. So I am drinking bourbon currently while I'm doing this podcast because I just worked on a Monday after Christmas. And this is my thing is to take off Chris. I work Christmas Eve. I do the ho 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 stuff with the staff, buy him some dinner, get him a nice little card. And then I, I just disappear until January 2nd, because there's no business to be had. There's people coming in pharmacies, there's people asking vitamin questions, but all of the back end stuff that I have to do, like in supplement development and all that stuff, everybody else is checked out. Right. right. And so I totally love, want to check out too. And just dragging my butt into work today, uh, I was like, like, I just gnawing on the counter. So now I'm home. <laughs> 
and we've got to do this podcast <laughs> and nobody's nobody's really listening anyway right <laughs> so can i Probably i, I want it since we're the best of 2020 i feel is like complaints and grievances <laughs> up and down right yeah. so i want to complain right now about this godforsaken covid vaccine i hate it already i hate the Uh-oh. thing do you know how many, i feel 40 plus phone calls a day plus emails plus social media on all fronts and it's not covid vaccine questions i love that when people ask that but what i'm getting right now is um, do you have the vaccine where am I on the list? Can, are you keeping a list? And, but I'm high risk. Like that's what I keep getting all day long. Can I tell you, it has taken me every ounce of self-control not to text you like that very thing, because I know that you're on top of it and you will let me know when my number comes up, but I'm just like, come on, Neil, do I count as frontline just because I'm one of your employees, even though I never (laughs) work in the store? (laughs) Yeah. So I get a phone call. Am I, am I, um, no, do you have the, are you going to get the vaccine is what people would say. Are you going to get the vaccine? Yes. We're signed up to be a, a site and I'm trying really hard to get lots of doses so I can immunize literally our entire community and surrounding communities. Like I'm, I'm mm. trying like everything I can. I'll, I'll stop working as the pharmacist and just stab people. Okay. Are you keeping a list? No, I'm not keeping a list because it's literally 7 billion people on that list. Everybody wants this thing. This is, <laughs> this is hotter than that. Uh, like, uh, real life Iron Man glove or the the gauntlet from Infinity Stones, you know, uh, Infinity War. So Isn't it is like hotter a than PS5 that. That you could have used as an example. Right, I could have used the PS5. It's hotter than the Xbox One X Series <laughs> X X X, like that Vin Diesel movie. So we have we have that, and then it, the the thing. It's just like we can't just be left alone. It's the question be, or statement becomes, but I'm high risk. Yes, I understand that. There is literally a hundred million people that are in the high risk category. And again, I'm saying this in jest. I really don't like, it doesn't really stress me out. And I know where everybody's at, you know, because basically what's going Mm -hmm. on is people are seeing people get immunized now and they're seeing it move. So they, they want, they, they want theirs. And of course I I understand, Um, you know, on the serious side of things, it's like, patience is going to be the winner here because it's going to help you with your mental health side of things, because like just worrying about like clawing and scraping your way to get a dose if you're not Marco Rubio, you are going to be later. It's going to be like February, March. <laughs> I've been telling people June, right? I'm not going to take a dose. I'm not taking a dose, not because I'm worried about getting uh, my cell phone service disrupted with the vaccine, but I am not taking the dose because I am young and healthy and I do everything I need to do. So even if I'm immunizing a clinic full of people, I'm not going to get that vaccine because I think there are other people that should get it in ahead of me. Um, so just wait. It's life's going to stink for six months, no matter what you're going to be wearing the mask until labor day. That's my bet. If mm-hmm. not longer. So, so it's cool. It's just chill out. So, I mean, you can totally ask those questions, but I'm going to need payments of chocolate chip cookies once that's resolved. Right. I mean, I did drop off a pan of brownies. Yeah. We rushed, we wrecked them. So there's <laughs> um, actually no, I think there's a row left, but whatever. So I'm oh, sick wow. of the vaccine. So I figured let's let's get into this. Let's do the best of the some of the best interviews. I gave Dana a list of the folks that I really liked or the pieces that um, I thought were probably the most poignant, you know, uh, throughout mm-hmm. the discussion of COVID. I try to keep the COVID stuff a little bit minimal and 
keep to the interviews that happened in that first quarter. She came up with a couple of hers. So we've got a bunch. I'm going to let you drive, Dana. Why don't you uh, kind of like set up the episode and just kind of tell us what's going on in the clip. You're going to listen to a little clippy poo and then we'll, uh, I'll put my two cents into it. Okay. Well, I think then we will start with some non COVID stuff. Cause you just went on your little rant. Yes. And I think that, um, this clip with Jessica Tahar was oh, a yeah. really good one about understanding labels. Uh, she was our, um, She's the uh, science director of the International Probiotic Association. Probiotic chick. That's what yes. I was going to say. <laughs> probiotic I mean, chick is one term. Yes. But like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> so she was talking about understanding labels and that speaks directly to your mission, the mission of this podcast and your whole practice in general. I thought it was really concise and I thought it was a great clip. There are certain things on a label that you can check a quality probiotic and strain designation absolutely is another one. Mm -hmm. You got to know exactly what organism is there. So, I mean, that's like trying to find, okay, go look for a lactobacillus acidophilus. Which one? It doesn't work that way. It's not informing the consumer. It's not informing the healthcare professional. It's not informing anybody really. And of course you can take the more skeptical approach and perhaps that's the best approach, you know, guilty until proven innocent, so to say, but you have to be able to contact the manufacturer as well to find out that information, whether it's the brand themselves or maybe they put the manufacturer information. It really depends on the label itself, but you need to know what's in the product. You need to know the amounts that are in the product. You need to know, hopefully, as I said, the potency that links back to the studies as well, because if you're taking a product for IBS or IBD, some sort of ulcerative colitis to get more specific, you want to know that that's been studied in an ulcerative colitis population and that there's a dose that's tied to that. And that's the dose that you should be taking because you fit that population of patients. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that Jessica's appearance in general was awesome. She's been a great help to me. In fact, I work with her on the side. She actually is helping me develop uh, and refine my probiotic line. She actually even volunteered to help me with my supplement school and improved that information. She actually said, I've got most of it down. So she actually gave me this huge compliment that I thought considering I'm, I'm, you know, part moron, you know, and she's a a probiotic professional. She said I was pretty much there. So that was great. So, um, but yeah, I think that when it comes to buying probiotics, the advice and, and the information that you should take from that show is that it's very difficult for us to get to true quality just by looking at labels or looking at brands or reviews, just like we say about everything, right? The, There are some red flags that you can look at with probiotics. So the first one being the strain names, making sure that you see the specific strain names listed on the label. The second is that you want to make sure that the amount of probiotic is listed as CFU. And the third is you want to make sure that that potency is guaranteed through expiration, because if it's not, you're probably not going to get any active probiotics. So, you know, listen to her episode for lots of great information on probiotics. She literally is the the guru right now. So uh, listen to her. Totally. Totally. Um, okay. I think the next clip should be from your boy, Jeff Uden. He is always like, he speaks so clearly about terms that I just never understand. But in this clip, he was talking about genetic testing for, you know, depression, things like that. And I thought he gave a really good perspective on why you would genetic test or not genetic test, because right now genetic testing is very popular and people are all about it. 
and they're just not always necessary. So I thought that this was a really good clip to explain why. I don't order genetic testing in all of my patients because there's an expense to it. It's not that expensive. It's usually between $300 and $500. I don't order it on all my patients because pharmacologically, we can usually figure out what's going on. I only do it if I'm stumped and I feel like we need the verification of what's going on because then I can hone in on which are the best drugs or drug combinations for the patient. Now, on the flip side of that, okay, so what? It costs $500. What if a patient has depression and they have a legit trial of an antidepressant, which could require three months, right? Because you should wait at least four to six weeks before you increase the dose. And so they're on an antidepressant, you raise the dose three to six weeks later, doesn't work, you raise the dose again, then you say, okay, this isn't working, let's try another antidepressant. This can go on for years, multiple ER visits, multiple visits to the psychologist. Whereas really, if you just paid the lousy $500 for a test, we could have honed in on the correct therapy right from the beginning. Yeah, Jeff is a pharmacy nerd. I mean, that's really what you're trying to say. And that's what you just <laughs> came out and said is that he's a nerd and he talks very uh, smartly. He talks smart, you know? Uh, so I think that it was nice. It's always great to listen to him. So as I said at the beginning out of his episode, or I think it was the end of one of his, talking about how Jeff is actually like a real life hero. He's, he was a whistleblower when they were doing all this atrocious stuff at the VA in Albany, like fudging data and like harming patients. It was, it was horrible. And uh, so he's already got that. And, but then he's like an excellent clinician, like one of the most re- well-regarded pain uh, management pharmacists out there, right? So then he comes on my podcast because uh, he hooks a brother up. We used to work together. And uh, so um, it's just really great to listen to him. So I think it's really cool too, because we then were talking about genetic testing a lot in my blog. And then in a future episode with Dr. Chapman, we were talking about genetic testing and when it's relevant and not. And it was funny because in that conversation, we kind of went on a little tit for tat because he was getting all into the MTHFR testing. And I'm like, no, 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 we got to pump the brakes and kind of, you know, having that conversation about the relevancy of the relevance of uh, genetic testing clinically. So basically what genetic testing, I'll, I'll say it in less nerdy terms, genetic testing for pharmacy helps us understand if we either chew up drugs too quickly or chew up drugs too slowly, because we're all going to be chewing up drugs. When we take something, our body gets rid of it, right? That's what it does. So it's either we, we have like super Pac-Mans or we have slow uh, semi-retired Pac-Mans, right? So we make sure it says semi-retired Pac-Mans. I don't want it to sound like I said <laughs> semi-retired <laughs> Pac-Mans, but anyway, so, um, so we either have, um, so we either have like hyperactive, I've drank too much coffee, um, Pac-Mans, or we have Pac-Mans that have maybe have been drinking too much bourbon and they're, they're slowed down a little bit, right? They're not, they're not chewing on the, the medications as they should. And that's really good for helping us start medications because then we can say, all right, so if these types of medicines are handled in a certain way, are there medicines that you handle normally or in, in, in a better way? So that way we can know which ones to start with and which dose to assign you to because of how your body will handle it. Now, it's not going to guarantee success, as we said in the podcast, but I think just like all of this stuff that we were talking about is like super enlightening uh, because a lot of people don't even know it's available to them now. And we should take advantage of that kind of genetic testing. Yeah. So speaking of nerds, I think we should then go right into Kimberly Chapman, because as I told you off mic, this episode went right over my head. I chose this (laughs) clip because it sounded very information dense. And I remember when I was putting it together, I was hoping that I was um, 
interpreting the context of it well enough to make it sound, you know, like a, a proper, uh, like complete thought because I was <laughs> like the, the listeners who understand what she's talking about, hopefully this makes sense to them because Woo! I I looked up a lot of terms during this episode, and it still was just like it was a lot for me. But she was a really smart guest, and I thought that this was an important clip. What we've discovered is that there's two common variants within the population for MTHFR. They're actually polymorphisms because 30 to 60 percent of individuals in any given population will carry these polymorphisms. These were originally identified looking at these clotting people and people said these are going to increase people's risk for elevated homocysteines and their risk for clots. Well, what really happened was we realized that's probably not the case. So these are thermal labile and they have the basically normal function at normal body temperature and then drop their function to about 25% at 40 degrees Celsius. In fact, the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics recommend that the variants are not tested for. If they are checked and somebody's a homozygous for either one of these, a total homocysteine should be checked because if you are folate deficient, you actually could have a slightly elevated total homocysteine. Yeah, there's not enough nice stuff I could say about her. So, you know, it's really funny how I get guests. I basically beg and steal. And so I actually like promised, and I probably should send her, I promised the the secretary of the genetic like doctors group flowers if if they, she got one of her people to come on my podcast i'm like i kept begging her i'm like come on i just want somebody smart to come on i'm not i'm not a clown you know that kind of a thing and i'm like i'll give you flowers <laughs> so i don't think i sent her flowers i should make sure i do that but anyway so uh dr chapman was incredible to have on because of her expertise and you know cutting to the heart of the matter mthfr is a real problem but it's not a real problem for most of us And, you know, listening to that podcast, pairing it with my article, I think it's really important because MTHFR is the new boogeyman. It's the new problem. It's the new trend. It's, it's the thing of the year where everybody has it. It's the, it's the cause for all of your problems. And as soon as you address it with my $99 vitamins that are just the B complex, that should just be like $3, then you'll start to feel better and you'll be a better person and people will like you. So it's just the new thing for this year. And it's just exhausting to be honest with you, to keep uh, beating this down. And I will say that my content with Dr. Chapman, my blog article, it actually gets hate mail. <laughs> Do you know that I get hate mail? <laughs> I mean, you mentioned it. But... Yeah. I mean, so it's basically, you know, people will, I, nine times out of 10, uh, when somebody's replying to and something that we put out there, it's always positive. Um, so I don't want to make it sound like this happens a lot. This happens very rarely. Some people will take the time to tell me how much I suck and how how much of a dope I am. And so it's really funny because in this situation, it we're clearly coming at this from a place of advocacy, right? We're coming right. at this from a place of like, we we don't want you to get ripped off. We're identifying that MTHFR is a real thing. And here's content from one of the foremost experts that actually practices with this stuff, talking to you about it and like what's real about it and what's not. And like the entire genetic um, at home testing perspective, right? So this is the, the best information that you can possibly get. That's 
I guess understandable. Dana says it's not, whatever, that's fine. And so, so like, this is, this is it. This is the, you know, we want you to understand it. We want you to know that this is real. And we want you to know that we understand that you have pain. And so this is how you can address your pain without getting ripped off. And it's just funny that what people take from it. And my, my newest thing is like <laughs> next, uh, my first article of the year, which is going to be on our new site, drneilsmoller.com is, Ooh. is going to be about this term holistic because they see holistic in my name, but then they see me, uh, they see me basically having this more reasonable measured response is how I see it. But they feel like I'm a, a big, like people think I'm a big pharma shill. Somebody said, Oh, you're a you're a show. How much are they paying you? And I said, you know, trillions of dollars. So I think it's it's really interesting. This idea of of what the mission is here is to kind of pull back the curtain and say, listen, all of the stuff that you're feeling is legitimate. All of the stuff is real. There are uh, solutions here that are truly holistic. We just need to kind of get the fog off of our lenses that, you know, is happening because we're wearing masks with glasses. Right. And we uh-huh. need to defog and we need to kind of see everything a little bit clearer and then we can make better decisions for ourselves. So again, Kimberly's episode, I think you're right. That was one of the, the best episodes that we had just from a um, concentration of quality information. So. All right. Next up on the list is um, one to let's say pat ourselves on the back because it is about the uh, information that has been around pretty much all year about the connection between vitamin D deficiency and increased suffering, I guess, from coronavirus. And I believe it was like either the end of March, beginning of April, somewhere in there that you first brought it up. And I, the reason I chose this clip is because I literally saw a new article just last week connecting vitamin D deficiency and coronavirus, increased risk for coronavirus. And while I'm glad that the information is still circulating, I don't understand why it is being presented as new information. So this clip is uh, you and me talking about it. And, you know, just being the first, like I said, pat ourselves on the back a little bit. There's a couple papers that I would say that review the relationship between vitamin D levels and the frequency of respiratory infections. Really? Yes. Oh. And and it's been known for a bit. Like, this is something that we've been kind of familiar with. The idea that if your vitamin D level is suboptimal, you'll have more respiratory infections just generally. So then some dudes were doing a quote-unquote study and one of the hospitals or systems around here during this COVID thing. And they were trying to pull together vitamin D levels and COVID survivability, right? And so they published this paper and there was a lot of flaws with it. One of the biggest flaws being that it was a small number of people um, that they actually had vitamin D levels attached to the patient, right? And like how they did the study was kind of weird, but essentially they found the same thing. If the vitamin D levels were low, the COVID seriousness escalated quite a bit. I think besides the idea that the vitamin D thing is something that we've been promoting and been an advocate of, there's two things I want to talk about. So first, you know, vitamin D isn't a fringe supplement. It's actually a part of my vital five. It's in the bone support section. So technically, if you were following our model for true holistic care and, you know, what we've already said based on the best available data, vitamin D should be an active part of your regimen. And we wouldn't be using those like 
wussy doses that you know the National Institute of Health recommends. We talk about the Osteoporosis Foundation and how they want higher doses, which are going to be optimal for skeletal and non-skeletal benefits, meaning respiratory disease, right? So we've been on this for a long time, right? And so that shouldn't be new that vitamin D is important and useful for people. But now to see the clear-cut connection between it and COVID, it's it's great, and more and more data keeps coming out. And this this so the second piece that I want to try to try to highlight here is this idea that again I'm a big pharma shell to tie it back into the hate <laughs> mail, right? So Pete, when I'm talking smack about Mercola in other episodes or any of these charlatans that are out here promoting their nonsense, their vitamin C cocktails with zinc and all of the stuff that we know does nothing, right? It changes the COVID status zero right? Glutathione by what's his face down here in New York, right? All of that (laughs) stuff. If it worked even a little bit and had good data, we'd be all about it. And we'd be promoting it from the first time I saw an article. And I read freaking 40 of these articles every day, right? Uh, There is no, there's an abundance. There's no lack of theoretical retrospective trials or, you know, whatever about coronavirus that we can look at. So we're, we're paying attention and and this is important because we want from that holistic standpoint, we want to use everything that we possibly can. And so where vitamin D is this bone health hormone, making sure that you have optimal levels for your bone health actually pays dividends on your respiratory health and beyond. So, um, so yeah, I think that those two points are, are really important. Yes. Please be taking vitamin D, listen to the advice that we gave then and still do, you know? Totally. Take your vitamin D. Oh yeah. Every day. I take 5,000 units a day. Oh my gosh. I take the vitamin D is 3000 and then plus whatever is also in the calcium Mm -hmm. Woodstock vitamins brand calcium. Yeah. So the reason I take 5,000 units isn't for anything noble. It's just because I, as the shoemaker's kids, I only take the expired stuff from the store. So if you have random bottles that expire, that's what I use because <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I can't sell them to you guys. So, and I know they're pretty much okay for me at least. So right. take the, the big old, it's like a 500 count mega bottle that you can rob a store with. I'm sure use it as a oh my gosh. weapon. What's next? Next is your boy, Dr. Dresdale. He did our first part of the little mini series, Coping with COVID, and he addressed fear. You know, everyone was afraid of the unknown and how it was manifesting itself in anger. And I believe the context that you put it in was the protesters. And the reason I thought this was important is because fear manifesting itself as anger has been or rather became the theme of this entire year. And, you know, this was something that he addressed back in April and he was right on the money with it. I want to talk about these protesters, (laughs) these these pandemic deniers, right? I kind of feel that this macho attitude about, oh, this isn't a big deal, you know, and all of that, are just unhealthy manifestations of some internal struggle, right? I mean, they, like people aren't really that upset about not being able to, out, to go out to like Olive Garden, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right? They're not going to put people's lives at stake for a breadbasket, right? Right. You know, like, and like sports are fun, but 
is it worth hundreds of thousands of other people's lives, including potentially their own, you know, family or their, their loved ones, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, this is a tough thing to deal with the, you know, the misinformation and how that's fueled and then the resultant erratic behavior. So yeah. do you have any? Well, yeah, if people were rational, I'd be out of business. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And maybe it's just and- my idealistic <laughs> head here, you know, but yeah. like, there's got to be something um, else, isn't there? <laughs> so, yeah. So when we see this stuff on the surface, as I think you're alluding to, Neil, we have to ask what's underneath. And what's underneath is fear. Um, people haven't ever encountered this before. Um, their fear, the, whether they are in touch with it, the fear is there. What's going to happen? Uncertainty is extremely difficult for people to deal with. And everything that we thought was normal is no longer normal. And everybody's talking about the new normal. But people who are losing their jobs don't have any money in the bank, perhaps losing their homes, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, are afraid. So when we are afraid, we need to deny what makes us afraid if we don't admit it to ourselves. And anger is a strong way to deny fear, right? So almost invariably behind anger is is fear and pain. Um, But anger makes us feel big and strong and powerful. So if people gather together and are chanting and carrying signs and uh, essentially being rebellious, right? You can't make me, I'm in control, is a psychological defense against feeling out of control and being afraid. And uh, that then overrides the reality of the danger to themselves and to the society at large of, you know, contracting and transmitting uh, a virus that will make us for most of us, at least very sick, if not kill us. Although, as we know, there are some people who don't have symptoms at all, which makes it even more dangerous, right? And um, what happens when people are in conflict? Uh, There's a theory that is well-established in psychology called cognitive dissonance theory. So if you know there's a dangerous virus, but you also are in conflict because this dangerous virus is overturning your life and putting you in jeopardy in other ways, financially, etc. That dissonance has to be reduced. So one of the ways to reduce the dissonance is, well, there is no virus, or it's not as dangerous as they say it is, or these eggheads don't know what they're talking about, or it's a hoax, or if it is, I don't care. Whatever it is, that dissonance needs to be reduced. Um, Otherwise, they have to face their fears and struggle with what is the the truth of the matter. And also, it gets confusing because there are people in areas of the country where they don't see the pandemic up front and personal, up close and personal, rather, like the major cities have been seeing. So they look around at their world and they're going, I don't get it, everything looks okay here, 
why do those people have the right to tell me what to do when there's nothing bad here? Hopefully nothing bad happens there, but sadly I think these, many of these people have never exposed themselves and we're going to start to see an uptick in other areas of the country. Just like the two kids that got us in trouble at recess and ruined recess for everybody. That's right. They ruined it for everybody. And so, mm -hmm. you know, people have gone to these protests. They might have carried the virus into their communities. Mm -hmm. um, so, the, so my take on this is my understanding is that this is predominantly a way to try to cope with what is really fearful and the incredible uncertainty we have about what's going to happen in our lives going forward. And the more disruption, the more defense, the more fear, the more defense against it, and the more the anger, and the more the denial, and the more you can't tell me what to do. You know, it's funny that you said that it's like the theme for the entire year, but it's the theme for the entire year in America only, because everywhere else where they kind of have better uh, grips on how they how reality is they don't have what we have you know a anywhere else where the numbers are out of control it's because of lack of communication and lack of like you know leadership they also don't have as big of a like um i guess uh confrontation between two factions within the population this was our banner moment this is where we're supposed to stand in line together and say we're going to not allow this to hurt each other you know we're not going to allow this to take us down right this is where we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder like we did in 9-11 uh, right. times 100 and make sure that it didn't infect anybody and, and we failed so i would recommend that anybody go back and listen to dr dresdale uh dr ball ben lipton we did the coping with covid series and i've got a new YouTube channel uh, standing up pretty shortly, and we'll put those videos on. But, you know, every single thing that we talked about is as true then as it is right now. And be, it's for COVID and beyond, because a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with is just this acceptance, this idea that this it is what it is. And there's nothing that we can do about it. And finding the silver linings and understanding that this is difficult and and that we don't have to be happy with it, but we just have to kind of let it go. All of these kinds of things that are in here, um, how we cope with COVID will help you cope better with life after COVID. Mm -hmm. um, because we've got, you know, another nine months, I would say, before things really get back to quote unquote a normal, uh, that we don't even know what it'll look like after this, right? And so- exactly. um, so I think that it's important not just to listen to Dr. Dresdale because he's always very poignant. He like he's a media dude, like he just knows how to do it. Um, but Stephen Ben, like listen to those two professionals talk about how to handle specific situations for COVID because it, again, it still still matters today, even though we're all kind of tired, you know. Totally. Uh, yes. So to lighten things up a little bit, I want to talk about a clip about apple cider vinegar, because I think what you said was mostly funny. I mean, you were <laughs> just speaking the truth, mm -hmm. but apple cider vinegar is just so popular right now. I was taking it also. And while That's it funny. will definitely help settle your stomach if it's upset, um, it is applied or espoused for so many other, you know, weight loss being one of the biggest things, but so many other applications, like it's supposed to help your skin, all that. And you're like, eh, it's, uh, it's vinegar. How's it going to do all that stuff? <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious. 
there's no physical way that apple cider vinegar can have any effects that it advocates to have. Like it helps with diabetes or it helps with heart health. It's vinegar. That's it. It's acetic acid. There's nothing else there. Some formulations have the mother, which is like the fermented bacteria that are making the vinegar in the first place. Mm -hmm. But those aren't there because they're healthy for you. They're there because they ferment stuff well. Right? right, which is two different things. So the idea of using it for every condition, because that's what everybody uses it for, is pretty interesting. Taking more acid, especially vinegar, if you have reflux, again, people will tell you all day long that it helps out. And I'm not one to stop people normally, but the part of the conversation everybody leaves off is the other part about how harmful it can be. So ask any dentist, and they'll mm -hmm. tell you apple cider vinegar people have the worst enamel. Ask any gastroenterologist, and they're going to talk about how they have the worst reflux flux and their esophagus looks like a hot mess. Yeah, I, I don't have much to say. Apple cider vinegar falls into the, one of the five supplements you should stop right now. It's salad dressing. Let's stop building up salad dressing and <laughs> turning into something magical. And I think it just kind of speaks to this idea that I am not afraid to shake the cage a little bit because there are so many like, quote unquote, sacred cows, you know, mm. truths that are around in the supplement industry. And like, the cage doesn't need to be shaken. It needs to be kicked off the table. And I'm so happy to do that for everybody because I'm mentally broken and I feel like this is the only way that I can fulfill myself. So yeah, I think that, um, I think that that episode was really good. There's one other episode that I would kind of point you towards that I think was really good was the listener questions one, which is a lot of like the uh, same kind of concepts. These are some things that I know to be true. And like, Neil, what do you think? So, you know, those kinds of episodes really resonate with people. They always end up having the most downloads because they, they feel more real for people. So take a listen to that one too. That's uh, probably one of the best ones of the year too. For sure. Um, this sort of lends itself to a clip about synthetic ingredients. A lot of people are more interested in quote unquote whole food vitamins, and you've had a lot to say about that. And in this clip, you point out how most ingredients are synthetic anyway. And so, you know, stop driving yourself crazy looking for all natural because it's kind of a fool's errand. I used to say, well, you want the natural sources of your vitamins. You don't want the synthetic forms. But the truth of the matter is, is that almost all vitamins now are synthetic. They all come from some sort of synthetic sources. If you go online, you Google natural versus synthetic. There's bloggers out there and like even reputable quote unquote sites that are saying, well, here's a list of synthetic compounds and here's the alternative. You want to use these, but it's actually not accurate because a lot of those things that they're pointing out that are natural are actually synthetic compounds. They're made in a lab. So like, for example, vitamin A, you think vitamin A is this natural vitamin. It's going to help you. It's going to be healthy, but vitamin A comes from acetone, right? And even squalene sometimes, which is like, what the hell is that? That sounds really scary, right? <laughs> that uh, sounds like a character from SpongeBob. <laughs> yeah. Squalene the squid. Yeah. <laughs> so the vitamin itself it doesn't really matter where it comes from. And what matters is, is our body going to use it? Is, are we going to absorb it? Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of speaks to that overarching theme in the supplement industry is like accepting reality for what it is. They can put pictures of fruits and vegetables on the labels. They can say that these things are natural or raw, but in the manufacturing process to get into a capsule or tablet, it's, it's not like a bunch of hippies are grinding up herbs or fruits and vegetables and like they're hand picking them and like, you know, like singing to them at night, that this stuff doesn't happen. This is industrial processes for mass production and the same stuff that's in the bottle. That's the 
Centrum Flintstone chewable thing is the same stuff that's in your $90 practitioner bottle that, you know, your, your, your whomever is giving you. So we just have to understand what's real. You know, my favorite Mm -hmm. thing in this, I think I mentioned in that episode was nutritional shakes. You know, they, the idea that you're using this magic science space powder to replace a meal, um, that's how it's sold. But of course, that's not the truth. It's just kind of like, so almost like a TPN bag as if you're in a hospital, right? You're getting that nutrition in a bag type stuff, except it's just now in a pill form. So it's proteins. Yes. It's, it's fats. Yes. And it's carbohydrates. Yes. But it's been processed like a million times. And if um, maybe we can even put in the show notes, I can finally put it in there. The uh, way manufacturing um, like flow chart, what it looks like oh. when it, something goes from cheese to whey powder and there's way too many boxes and arrows <laughs> to, <laughs> to have it be, you know, raw <laughs> or natural or whatever. So, yeah. So I think, again, like thematically this year has been like, let's deal with what's going, what's real, you know? Uh, and if we do, we can actually succeed where before these charlatans, these practitioners, these manufacturers, the brands, they're standing in the way of our health. Yeah. What else you got for us? All righty. Next up. Oh, this one I thought was uh, really interesting about retrospective studies. You were talking about how a lot of studies are done quickly and all the data that is gleaned from it is in retrospective, hence the name, as opposed to doing the studies and gathering data and results in real time. So one last thing that I'll kind of touch on is the idea of a retrospective study. And sometimes this stuff is highlighted in the title itself as, you know, a retrospective review of. And the best clinical data is when we set the intention at the onset and say, we want to test this thing in this group of people to determine if there's any effect, good or bad, right? And we can do these studies and then all of the data comes through at the end. And then we can say, okay, we have all this data. Let's look back and try to make some other assumptions based on this data that we found. And while that's good, it's reasonable. It's a bad place to make conclusions on because we won't be able to tease out some biases. And there's a lot of like statistic type stuff that we won't be able to kind of discern. And it's really not good from like a scientific method standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's very important that people understand this. I really doubt, though, that a lot of people are going to take a time to vet the references, and that's why these companies thrive. We say it a bunch in our articles uh, in reference to our hate mail. (laughs) I say um, that I don't put references in my articles because I don't want to give the air of something like, uh, I guess, official. You know, I think that too often these supplement brands will throw a bunch of references into their literature, even with like superscripts. So they make the number small and big up on the line. Right. And so it looks like it's referenced all throughout the page. So it looks like a a white paper. Right. And so it gives it more authority, more uh, credibility. And I I think it's a hack. I think it's a trick. I think people are using that to convince you um, that what they're saying is legitimate when it's really not. And so I make it a point in my writings to to not do that. If I do have references, I'll say they're available or, you know, here's a block of references just so you can kind of see it, or here's a link. I want people to understand that it's editorial. So I think it's important to listen to that podcast because of 
you know, having those tools in your toolbox, being able to look at just even the, the, the reference itself and gleam whether or not it, it's important, right? In mice, it keeps seeing this, there's an article that keeps popping up about how um, they're reversing aging, not aging, no, memory loss. They're reversing memory loss and it's all over Reddit. And literally it's in mice. That's what the, the headline says. So as soon as you click through and you see in mice, it's like, what does that matter to me? It does, you know, like, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of rodents among us, but not many. So, so I think it's important to, to listen to that podcast, get the understanding of those things and then actually use it if you can, you know, um, right. or at least know that that is a trick that people will do is to, to add a bunch of references to make it look legitimate and if you're not going to have the time to be able to vet everything, um, at least don't fall for that trick. Exactly. So this brings us into the home stretch. Two of our, well, I guess the two most recent episodes. So great. Dr. Ray Yip came on to talk about the vaccine and he had so much great information for us. So I chose one clip from each episode because we broke it into two parts if anyone hasn't caught it yet. So from episode 91, he explained to us why this vaccine took less than a year to develop as opposed to like a decade. So safety is the big concern. And, you know, a lot of this people feel like corners have been cut. So how do we get from a normal 10 year process down to a one year process? Do you want to just summarize some of the stuff that changed? I think that's probably the most important uh, questions to answer. Mm-hmm. It because when something that on the average takes five to ten years, how do we manage to do it safely and properly, say, in seven to eight months? Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's so I'm I'm going to answer this in several parts. Number one is we happen to got very lucky with this particular coronavirus, which means this turned out to be a virus. It was not difficult to develop a vaccine against the virus. Right. Which cannot, it, there's may, we, we, are, we have dozens and dozens of vaccines out there. Some are easier to develop, some are harder to develop. i give you the most extreme example. We've been working on HIV vaccine for the last 30 years. We're not even coming close to it because that virus is changing all the time. It's it's a real moving target. We just cannot find the part of the, the virus. We can say we can develop a, some kind of a target against that. So there will be something we tried 30 years. We couldn't get the shoot on the moving target. It just so happened the coronavirus it's a very stable virus. It does mutate, it does change. But from the beginning, everybody saw, we saw all those pictures on TV screens, on newspaper, of those spikes, yeah. those funny looking spikes. Well, from the beginning, everybody who was doing the vaccine development, doesn't matter which technology, which methodology you use, everybody was going after that spike, the spike protein. Well, we got lucky. Turn out that spike protein is very stable. And if you can properly develop the, the vaccine or the antibody against that spike protein, you can disable this particular virus. So the, the news, good news number one 
is this turned out to be a relatively one of the easiest vaccines to develop. Okay, let's roll right into the next one and then talk about both of them. He explains in this one from episode 92 what an mRNA vaccine is because it's very new and very exciting. We have these mRNA vaccines. So a lot of folks are talking about I heard that because it's working in the DNA and the RNA, it can become a part of who we are, and then we mutate and we become coronaviruses or, or something like that. Uh, <laughs> we, will have, we, will, we will grow spikes on horns. <laughs> <laughs> Might make some people look better, you know? I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, you know, the, the mRNA vaccine is definitely a brand new uh, construct. There's never before... Uh, we had done the vaccine by just sending the genetic instructions to to uh, make the antigen. Then the body will react to it. And, uh, of course, that's contingent on that genetic, the DNA or the RNA instruction to incorporate with some of our cells machinery to make that. So so that, that is the deal. And... Um, um, but the truth is, you know, we are actually exposed to virus all the time. Our, the, if you really talk to the, the evolutionary geneticists, look at the entire human genome, yeah, you'll be surprised what what I can't remember the percentage, but it's like could be as much as twenty five percent of a genome. It came from different type of virus. Oh yeah. We, we, we are not as pure as we think. No, definitely not. We had a geneticist on the podcast actually talking about this idea. And even how like we have 25,000 genes, the bacteria that makes up our microbiome and, the, and the, all of the little buggies that live inside of us has 600,000 genes. So they're, mm-hmm. we're actually more bacterial from a genetic standpoint than we are human. And so, yeah, it is really interesting to hear some of those concerns. I, I think... You know, and well, if those people who has any concern of yeah, getting a, a genetic material, DNA uh, messenger RNA material, mm-hmm. well, wait, wait until the 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 protein. Um, there's uh, the the one is um, and there's a company uh, in in uh, outside uh, in Maryland called no- Novavax. They are part of this U.S. government uh, project Warspe. Uh, they make they make the so-called protein subunit. They they basically do purified components of the protein. Then you, if you want, I'm sure their their vaccine will be successful. Probably will be, you know, finish their phase three by February and March. So if you're truly worried about right. becoming part of the coronavirus, <laughs> wait for that. Yeah, I got to say that I love Dr. Yip's uh, appearance on the show. I we were in store. I said on the podcast, you know, complaining about testing. He obviously knew a lot. And I said, "Would you know somebody that would be willing to talk about the vaccine?" He's like, "Bob, I've been following this since day one, so I know all about it." So it ended up being a very valuable episode. One of my favorites, not just because I didn't have to do much work and I just had to pretend to be funny. But because we had lots of really great information, you know, it was a way to simplify all of that stuff because a lot of us are really resistant to it. But I think now, um, I hope if you've heard those episodes, you are no longer vaccine averse. 
because mm. we know that it is one of the most studied. We got very lucky. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. We need to pay service to those folks that did all of that great work up to this point and to pay service to the folks that that died, you know, um, getting For to sure. this point. So, yeah, I think it was just top to bottom. Both of those episodes were great. Uh, he was a good dude. And I think that if we're at the end here of our, our review of the best of this year, nobody's really listening. <laughs> Everybody's on vacation, but I will say that, you know, we can see that the, this season, if we, we call it this calendar year, a season for us has a very strong thematic um, drive to it. You know, we, we were really kind of pushing towards one thing, which is like, let's cut the crap people. Mm. The most disappointing thing I would say for me with 2020 was that this was the time that we were going to stop playing all those stupid games that we've been playing all along, right? Um, the I'm so smart, I believe my own rhetoric, so I'm going to give you advice about some stupid supplement or some stupid protocol. That's literally what happens in supplements. We're, we're spitballing based on weak data, and we want to get attention, so we offer false hopes. That's where the wellness industry lives right now, right? And mm-hmm. this was the time for us to say, okay, we're going to zip our mouths at least, we're, we're going to be honest and we're going to say that we actually don't know what we're talking about. We're going to let the real experts kind of uh, come up to the table. But instead, we actually went into overdrive. We we attacked the experts, right? We talked oh, with everybody Dr. Everybody doubled down. Everybody doubled down on that. Like the idea that the pride that we have for our military, for our police, for our first responders should be held for our scientists. And because they really are like making miracles happen and they, they have this year. And so we doubled down on the nonsense and we, um, every other minute, the first few months was me just constantly slapping down misinformation about <laughs> coronavirus and it persists, but at least now I can point to 14 articles that say that's BS. Right. And yeah. so, and you know what they say, man, right. When life gives you lemons, you throw lemons at people. Right. So like, like <laughs> yeah, you just, uh, you start chucking it back. You don't make lemonade or if you're going to make lemonade, you pour it on people's heads. So we, I thought we did a good job helping people get the real information about this horrible thing that was uh, facing us and then, you know, deal with our new reality as best as we possibly could while still providing some sort of hope that we are making the right decisions for ourselves. So I think that even though nobody's listening right now, <laughs> this we did do the best of uh, 2020. I think that these episodes and and a lot of them that we did were uh, some of the best that we've ever done. And I think that I'm excited for next year. I'm excited to get like a, a few days off first and foremost, and I'm, I'm excited. Sure. I'm excited to get this vaccine distributed, and I'm excited to kind of put this chapter behind us, and you know, January is always that time of the year where we're doing the cleanses, right? I just ate 400 cookies in a week, right? And Mm. um, we're all over-consuming in a lot of different ways. We're all spent. And normally this is the time to do a cleanse and set our resolutions and, and, you know, set lofty goals for ourselves for the year. And this year it feels a lot different for a lot of people. And I think that this year feels different in that, like, what does it matter? But I think it feels different in, in that we have so much more to gain this year from lofty goals. You know, we have so much more that we can 
we can do. We have we have uh, a clearer path in front of us if we were really paying attention to what was going on this past year. Uh, a lot of us live really busy lives that are filled with a lot of nonsense, especially in the smaller household. We got four kids doing all sorts of crazy stuff all the time, right? It's just nice to kind of have this clarity around what's important and what's not, right? Being healthy is important. So for 2021, looking ahead, I, I would hope that we can try to come together more. You know, I would mm-hmm. hope that we can try to keep this theme, this mission clear, which is advocacy. We want you to be holistic. We want you to use supplements. We want you to live your best lives. We want you to put diet and nutrition and sleep and stress and environment and all of that stuff and exercise all first, right? And the gimmicks, the nonsense, the charlatans, the promises, we're not going to listen to you anymore. (laughs) It's attractive, uh, but you know, we learned this was the year that we learned that you guys are out in full force and there's so many different ways that we can be deceived by you uh, that we're no longer interested in playing this game. And in 2021, we're going to, we're going to dust our shoulders off. We're going to, we're going to wear our mask. We're going to get our vaccine when it's time. And we're going to start looking ahead at a clearer future that doesn't have the same uh, attention paid to the myths and misinformation of the natural products industry and the supplement industry. So what do you think about that as a, a summary? Uh, sounds good to me. Amen to that. Yeah. Are we, are we going to do, are you going to do that? Or are you going to just keep doing, keep doing you? Oh no. I mean, you know, my, my efforts always extend to about June-ish and then I just, <laughs> then it's ice cream season and it's downhill from there. Uh, so the last clip of 2020, uh, that I think you should listen to is the first clip of 2020, which I think is Dr. Dresdale and I talking about resolutions, because as we head into 2021, a lot of people are going to want to set resolutions. So let's set some real resolutions that we can stick to. Um, so that's it for me. That's it for Dana. Mm-hmm. Thank you for a great 2020. Happy New Year. And, uh, you know, I just want you guys to take care of yourselves and take care of each other, man. So be well. Be well.